Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Chelsea, a member of our community, is joining me again on today's episode. If you didn't hear the first part of our conversation, go back to last week, listen to that first, and then join us here. Sometimes on the podcast, you're going to hear like sort of a choppy transition. And if you hear that, just know that perhaps the guest and I were talking about some things that it is not safe to share on the podcast. For example, perhaps a specific location or a specific time. In this one, I jump right into quoting some scriptures. And uh, so just want to warn you about that weird transition. And I had a Shiro get together at my home with women who live in my local area. And one of the women, she's not atheist, but she's not Christian. Her paradigm is like mother nature. And she is an amazing person. And I want to acknowledge those of you who don't share my particular Christian paradigm, or perhaps you're Christian, but not of my particular faith, or, you know, whatever paradigm or faith that you come from, that you are welcome here. The reason why we talk so much about faith, at least me, is because that's how I process my trauma through my own lens of my own paradigm. And I want everyone to know that you are welcome here. You matter. And I'm grateful that this is a place where women can really share from the heart. So in that spirit, I'll be sharing some scriptures today, but it's not with the intent of like proselytizing or anything like that. It's just sharing from my experience with something that really helped me process what's happening and also taught me a principle that I believe is very applicable in our situation. All right, I'm going to jump into the conversation now. From your perspective, why do you think it takes so long to understand that you're being abused? And maybe someone pointing it out to you. Why do you think it takes maybe someone saying, hey, yo, that's abuse for victims to understand that they're being abused? For me personally, I think it's the, I don't know, gaslighting or I don't know what other, the manipulation involved where for so long before anyone has even become aware or even tell anyone or, you know, maybe nobody knows this is what you're going through. For so long, you've been told by the abuser that, it's you. So I wish I could tell more people because anyone I talk to, their first thing is to always go to marriage counseling. And I'm like, marriage counseling was so detrimental for me because it's like we go into session talking about the infidelity or like the abuse and like everything. And somehow we end up talking about forgiveness and the five love languages. 
I hate the five love languages. That's so funny that you say that. <laughs> Anytime I hear somebody talking about, well, his love language is this or my love language, I'm always like, oh, throw that book in the garbage. <laughs> I have a friend on social media who's a dating coach, and he talks about how that can end up being used as, how did he word it? Basically, just that you're not giving me enough of this, so I treat you this way. Yeah, this is my love language, and I deserve it, Right. Or I'm entitled to this because it's my love language. And of course, they're always going to say their love language is sex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just like, how did we start these sessions with this? And five weeks, six, eight weeks later, we're talking about how I need to forgive or I need to put more positive bids into our marriage or just any of these like marriage counseling things that I'm like, this never, none of this got to the root of the problem. It's nonsense when it comes to abuse. But the weird thing is marriage counselors in general don't assess abuse first. They just literally go right into positive communication or let's do a date night every week or, you know, whatever. If it really was an abuse situation, which all of these are, there's no way you'd be telling somebody to go on a date with their abuser every week. Or even like the other things they say. It's literally crazy. To me, it's like the opposite of safety. Like you're asking me to be vulnerable and to forgive someone who has not shown me that they're a safe person. Mm -hmm. Or trust someone who's completely untrustworthy. Yeah. They end up using that against you because it's like, well, the the marriage counselor said you need to work on this. Like it's like they bring up this list of things the marriage counselor told you to do and like they're not even working on whatever they told them to do. Well, it's hard to tell them what to do because it's like, don't cheat. And they're like, well, I haven't cheated since I did last time and I'm not going to do it again. So what else are you supposed to tell them? Like, that's it. Have more positive communication or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes it go on for so long. It feels like levels of like a video game or something like you have to go through all these levels before you're like okay like I'm not dealing with this anymore and that's how it felt to me he made it seem like that too like well when they're in the bargaining phase or whatever they just start begging you to try one more time or try something different so it's like just this cycle of like how many levels do I need to go through before this isn't gonna work that's part of grooming it gives you hope that change might be possible right or they're willing to work on it So it's essentially just a grooming tool to hook you back into the cycle. I think grooming is what is confusing all women about their abusive relationship is that there are these times where they genuinely want to work on it, quote unquote, right? Or they'll go to therapy or they seem to understand. They have these moments of what looks like true introspection where they apologize. And I know how much I've hurt you and I don't want to break our family up and, you know, this is the most important thing to me in the world or, you know, whatever. All that is, is grooming and grooming is abuse. I think people are seeing like, okay, it was good. And then it was bad. We were happy and he was nice. And then it was awful. They're not recognizing that that nice part, that good part, that part that he's quote unquote understanding it, or he's cherishing you is not good. And this is my case, but I also think it's a lot of people is, the abuser doesn't think they're doing that or see that they're doing that so it's like unintentional so it's almost like I can't call that abuse because he's not doing it intentionally I use the Book of Mormon I know other people don't so don't freak out so Mormon I 75 
For I remember the word of God, which saith by their works, ye shall know them. For if their works be good, then they are good also. So this is confusing, right? Because you're like, this is good. They were nice. They were kind. So are they good? And then in six, it says, for behold, God hath said a man being evil cannot do that which is good. For if he offereth a gift, he prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent. It profiteth him nothing. For behold, it is not counted unto him for righteousness. For behold, if a man being evil giveth a gift, he doeth it grudgingly. So there's something in his heart. Wherefore, it is counted unto him the same as if he had retained the gift. Wherefore, he is counted evil before God. And likewise, also, it is counted evil unto a man if he shall pray and not with real intent of heart. Yea, it profiteth him nothing, for God receiveth none such. 10 and 11. Wherefore, a man being evil cannot do that which is good, neither will he give a good gift. So this grooming, it seems good, but it's not a good gift. It's actually bad. And 11. For behold, a bitter fountain cannot bring forth good water, neither can a good fountain bring forth bitter water. Wherefore, a man being a servant of the devil cannot follow Christ, and if he follow Christ, he cannot be a servant of the devil. So really the intent of an abuser is not true peace, is not true righteousness. The intent of an abuser is control. The intent of an abuser is to get something. So in that moment where he seems genuinely caring, he seems genuinely interested in you, he seems genuinely repentant, something like that. The difference between that and a righteous gift or a true gift is that there are strings attached. There is a goal there. It is goal oriented. So in other words, he's super sweet and nice to you and you're amazing and you're beautiful when he wants to have sex or he wants to get something from you when he wants to exploit you. That's what makes it grooming. Once he gets that thing, the devaluing and the discarding happens because it was only goal oriented. Whereas true love, a good gift, a gift that is genuinely cherishing someone else never has strings attached to it. It's not goal oriented. So they would say, you're amazing and beautiful, regardless of whether or not they wanted to have sex with you, whether or not they wanted something, whether or not they want to exploit you. They'd just be like, wow, you're a delightful person. I really like being around you with absolutely no goal. That's the difference. When you say they don't intend to hurt me or they don't intend to be abusive, right? So a lot of people will be like, well, they don't know they're abusing me. So how can it be abuse? That's not what defines abuse. What defines abuse is that it's harmful to someone else. So they don't have to know what they're doing in order for it to be harmful to you. The abuse is the harm. It's not necessarily their intent. But if their intent is completely selfish and goal-oriented, then it's going to be exploitative and it's going to be abusive. For example, their intent might be, I just don't want her to know the truth because if she found out the truth, she would kick me out of our apartment, let's say, okay? And so the intent is not to get kicked out of the apartment. They're not thinking, I'm going to abuse her, ergo, I'm going to lie. The only thing they're thinking is, I don't want to get kicked out of the apartment. So their intent is to deceive so that they can maintain their entitlements, so that they can exploit you, so that they can maintain their status. None of that is ever thinking, oh, I'm going to abuse her on purpose. It's just wanting to protect themselves and exploit. That was so good because that sounds like so many conversations I've had. What happens when that, when you said like getting kicked out of the apartment, 
when that conversation is more like, I don't want to lose you. Cause I think that one's really hard because then there's that implied value in us as, as their spouse or partner or whatever. Here's a real quick before a response. There are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote, treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Five-star review we received on Amazon. The title is, If Only I Had Gotten the Support I Needed. She says, It's a long story, but to the point, I'm relieved to have grown to trust Anne Blythe enough, especially through her conversations with Omar Manwala, to actually buy this book, which I am so happy to have just read first thing after it arrived. I'm quote-unquote old, was in a 50-year relationship, and didn't get fully away until he died two years ago. I have more healing to do ahead, and his psychophants... Which, by the way, I had to look up. So that means someone who acts obedient or attentive or excessively servile, meaning they serve obsessively towards someone important in order to gain an advantage. So she's talking about flying monkeys around him that are wanting his approval or wanting things from him for whatever reason. So that's what that means. I'm going to start over at the beginning of that sentence. She said, I have more healing to do ahead as his psychophants, my family of origin members and friends, quote unquote, all still see me as the problem. But I have my truth, dignity, integrity, while not having monetary resources or a certain future ahead. I'd rather have the support I finally have, however limited, than trading that for money and a home. It seems to show the cost of things getting worse over time in an abusive relationship with someone who has affairs, uses porn, creates chaos, and collects psychophants and enablers wherever he can. I also recommend Lundy Bancroft's book. With support from family, I would have ended this sooner. Now I know I can create a safe, quote-unquote, family of mutual support. Wish me luck as I wish all of you luck. Thank you, Anne and Omar and many others who have helped me and still are by being true to themselves and others. This book covers so much so simply. Thank you for that five-star review and also for enlightening us on the word psychophant. Or psych- I hope I'm saying that right. And now back to our conversation. In that case, I don't want to lose you. They don't know who you are. An abuser does not see his victim as a person. What they see is a pile of things they want. So they see a pile of sex, someone who will cook for them. They don't actually see an individual that they're going to partner with and have an actual relationship with. So when they say, I don't want to lose you, what they're saying is, I don't want to lose sex. I don't want to lose someone that's going to vacuum the floor. I don't want to lose any money and having to pay you alimony or child support or anything. I don't want to lose the privilege of looking like a great guy at church and showing up on Sunday with my wife and kids. I don't want to lose my reputation. I don't want to lose all of these other things. My guess is if you really press this and said, what is it about me specifically that you don't want to lose? I don't really think they would be able to answer it. And I don't recommend people asking questions like that because they could come up with an amazing answer. And all you're doing in that moment is handing your abuser a shovel to further groom you with. The abuser's in a trench. They've dug it through their own viewpoint and they're really entrenched in there. And we never want to give them a shovel to dig themselves any deeper into that trench. So 
I think questions like that are going to just be handing them a shovel. And that's why I don't recommend doing it because they're either going to groom you more or they're going to abuse you in some way, devalue you in some way. Either way, it's abuse to you and it's an unsafe situation. But you would know if they valued you already. You would feel it. You would know if they really genuinely valued you and it would be consistent over time. You would not have abuse and then grooming and then abuse and then grooming. You wouldn't feel like you were married to Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, that's how what was hard for me for so long. I thought this vulnerable victim part of himself that he would show me was him. And then said getting the whole picture. You no, know, all of parts of him are him. A big part for me, I know everyone's different. I stayed so long because I, in a way, I guess I was codependent and that I felt bad that he suffered so much that he had these issues. And I mean, I'm sure that was a lot of grooming as well. Yeah. Well, think about like a girlfriend who's been through really hard times, who is a, like a good friend of yours. Like she's kind, she's supportive, she validates you. She does not use her difficult story or her difficult upbringing as a weapon to abuse you or to excuse her mistreatment of you. She doesn't use it to try and get people to feel sorry for her. Her response to her trauma was post-traumatic growth where she was like, you know what? I'm going to go to college. And she's this incredible, amazing person. There are so many people who have had very difficult situations in the past. They've had, they've had trauma in their childhood and they don't abuse other people. They make really good choices. They think that is not the kind of life I want. And so if anyone ever looks at you and says, well, I was abused as a kid and my life was really hard as a way to excuse or to give reasons for their bad behavior, you can just look at them with a deadpan face and say, so I know someone who went through that and they don't abuse their wife. None of that is a reason. Think about yourself. You went through a very difficult situation and your maybe upbringing was bad. I'm I'm just saying the general you. And do you lie and manipulate people? We just need to remember that all these sob stories, when they're told in this context, are only grooming. That's their only purpose. The purpose is to make people feel sorry for them so they can get away with bad behavior. Yeah, for sure. And I was groomed very early on. I told you how it all started. Well, I would say a month or two even before that was when the grooming began in hindsight where he started opening up about his childhood and stuff. So, or like things he had done in the past, like with his ex-wife that brought him so much shame and all this other stuff he said and cried and everything. And now I'm like, major red flag, major red flag. But in hindsight, like that was clearly when the grooming began. Exactly. They want to start out getting people to feel bad for them. So that's another thing for all the listeners is that if you start the relationship out with them trying to get you to feel bad for them, then you can just stand up and get an Uber. <laughs> you don't want to start there. And also if you're there in your own healing, if you show up on a date or with a person and that's what you lead with, I've been so victimized. I'm not talking for validation at BTR or any other situation. Any other situation with girlfriends, go for it. I'm talking about somebody that you're interested in as a date. That's dangerous because then they'll be like, oh, I can just tell them I'll never do that to you and I'll never leave you. And that, that is like giving someone a shovel. So I would say abstain from dating while you're feeling that vulnerable until you can get strong enough that you 
would never lead with that in a relationship. I know that's true, but the way you worded it about someone starting off with that, because I think that happens actually a lot, and we don't realize that it's grooming even from day one. A great way to start a date would be like, my life's great. <laughs> I love it. Even if it's not, then then people are like, well, you know, you're not vulnerable or whatever, but I'm just saying, get yourself to your a place where you feel like, I am whole, I am working my way to healing, I'm doing really well. That is a good place to start dating from, I think, rather than I'm trying to date to get someone to help me or I need something. I think that's just too vulnerable of a place for us, especially when we've been victimized so much that it just sets us up for more victimization. Yeah, that's that's so good. I've done a lot of deep dives on my own story, you know, over time. And I still have revelations like all the time about things I've been through. Even now, like seven years later, I'm still getting insights about like, why did I think that? Or this is what was really happening. I thought it was about this and it was about this totally other thing. There's insights that we have over time where we're like, oh, that conversation wasn't even about that. One of the things I've recognized is that my ex would get in a fight with me late at night. And then he would leave the house because he was so mad that he just needed to cool down. Well, now I am 100% sure that that is not the reason he left. He did not leave because we were in a fight and he needed to cool down. He had something he wanted to do. Maybe solicit a prostitute. Maybe he's a voyeur. He looks in people's windows. Something. I have no idea what that thing is. And he had to figure out a way of getting out of the house. So he picked a fight in order to have a quote unquote good excuse to leave. Now I know that that was the case, but in the moment, it really felt like we were having a legit fight. It felt like in the moment that like that was reality. And now I'm like, oh, that wasn't even a thing. Like we weren't even in a fight. There was nothing to fight about. He just manufactured that in order to be able to say, I need to go. Just there's, there's an example. So a lot of things like that, that women are experiencing where they think the reality is He's not attracted to me. And he stomped out of the house. They don't know that he just was like, okay, I got to get out of the house. I'll just tell her she's a bad cook and she'll get mad at me and then I'll get to go. Yeah, I feel like that that definitely happened to me a few times. I don't know what he was doing, but that's a very good point. (laughs) Do you have anything else you want to share with women who are maybe hesitant to join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group? Or maybe this is their first time listening to the podcast and they're kind of like, oh, is this for me? This seems kind of extreme. I'm not sure if this is abuse. I get like being hesitant because I think like it's like admitting it, admitting this is a problem is almost like taking a huge step in itself. And maybe that's where the resistance comes from. But for me, like it was just so helpful. There were times where an incident would happen and I would have to wait a week to see my therapist or maybe a lot of people aren't even don't even have a therapist, but like maybe your friends or family don't know what's going on or like I I know I didn't always want to be like calling them every time something happened. So I remember it just was once I finally like joined, it was just such a relief to know like anytime there was an incident, I could get on the same day and like sometimes I wouldn't even need to talk about it. It was just like being in that space where I felt safe and like not alone because it's such an isolating experience to be going through this even just sitting and listening was so helpful because it made me not feel crazy it made me not feel so alone 
our community is incredible. And I always say like when one of us has an epiphany, all of us have an epiphany. When one of us gets to safety, it makes it better for everyone. We're all working on deliverance together and together we can make this world a safer place starting with our own home and then spreading it out to other women across the globe. So I'm so grateful that you found us and grateful that you came on today to share your story. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 